0: Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. for tuning in to this latest episode of the rumors of true podcast my name is Jeremy and today I welcome my friend mark Solomon you know mark from the bands the crucified native son Stavesacre, neon horse outer circle white lighter and the never was podcast mark and I have an awesome conversation about his intro into music a lot of the records he's worked on throughout the years, uh, his impact, uh, as an artist, uh, it's, it's just been a big part of my life in general. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode with the almighty Mark Solomon. Mark, thanks so much for coming on my podcast, man. I
1: really, really appreciate it. All, all, uh, all thanks goes to you. Thanks for doing it. And, uh, happy to, happy to come on, man. Awesome, Mark. Thanks.
0: Tell me, what, what's going on in your life currently? What what do you got going on, man?
1: Uh, let's see. S- middle of my work season. Like, the, right in the middle of it. Um, so, just trying to be comfortable with... Um, I work in TV, and I work a TV show that's on every week. Doesn't matter what it is. But the point is, I in the middle... I'm I'm in production, so I have, you know, I'm part of the moving of gear and setting up gear up and setting up of gear and then maintaining it and then striking it all and moving to the next week. So it, it, it can be really stressful at the very beginning. It's nice to be in the middle and kind of settling into a little rhythm. Um, we'll get super busy around Thanksgiving and then go back to regular normal stuff. And it's just all about trying to get through the season till the off season.
0: <laughs> yeah, man.
1: So right now that's, I mean, we're, we're trying to do little stuff around the house. We've, we've been at this house in Florida for a long time and, and you know, truthfully the effort of my in-laws was huge. I mean, they have awesome. put so much elbow grease into this house, man. That's so, cool. That's what's going on.
0: That's sick, man. That's good to hear, man. I'm glad. Things well, are going where on. are you working right now? Are you, are you? I'm in, Uh, I'm in Florida Jacksonville. Um, and then I'm just doing my, uh, Oh yeah. I was doing insurance inspections and I got promoted. Now I'm a field operations manager, which is kind of cool. Yeah. can't complain, man. It's uh Beats uh, striking and tearing down stuff <laughs> oh until two in the morning, <laughs>
1: <laughs> dude. Uh, what about? Uh, do you still have any contact with the with the uh, the record pressing guys and all that? Yeah,
0: yeah. I talked to Jonathan and Walt here and there. Uh, Jonathan's out in L.A. actually, um, uh-huh. and yeah, it's going pretty well. I was working there for I don't know a year or so, and I just. You know wasn't paying the bills not on their part sure. but just you know
1: it just nah, man. Di- didn't financially make make sense but uh there's probably not a huge insurance package in uh <laughs> pressing vinyl
0: <laughs> no i don't think they've even taken a penny honestly like the the owners i don't think they've taken a penny in the six or seven years however long it's been open which is you know crazy to think but i mean it's a definitely a passion project is what it sounds like and of course see, they yeah. pay their guys and stuff but yeah i mean i'm they're doing really well and I'm stuck for' them and and they've put some awesome records out, which is really cool, so it's yeah. nice to awesome. nice to have that in the backyard, which is kind of cool so well speaking of i was gonna kind of go into where you and I actually met, which we kind of alluded to um our friend our mutual friend ryan luther uh yep. i i don't know if I don't have ever told you this, but i happened to be working the f s u game and uh I don't remember who it was, but f s u and you walked by and I like did a double take and i like text ryan and i was like is mark solomon working this game like am i seeing things right now and i think eric might eric might have been working with us too and i don't know why it didn't click in my head but i was just like oh my god this is insane you know like i've Uh been a fan throughout my life and of course you know i went up and met you and talked to you and we've been friends ever since and it's just been crazy to think that that's where we ended up meeting in a in a weird way but it was it was yeah. awesome. It's like one of those stories that like I don't know. It's if you get it, you get it. It's just like, whoa, that's insane. Well,
1: You know, for uh for a band like Stavesacre in particular, um you know, we had some we sold some records, but we didn't we never, you know, we never even came close to like 100,000 units or anything like that of any single album. I bet you we didn't even break 50,000 units of any single album. Whoa. But that's not, you know, that that doesn't even register in the pulse of, of commerce, but um, you know, we still played a lot, and we, we did a lot of shows and, you know, uh, played with a bunch of different bands, so with even being that small, it is so crazy to me. Like, maybe I didn't um, you know, make it per se um but literally every good gig and every cool thing that's ever happened to me from being married to um, the jobs that i have to uh living in a place that i can afford all those types of things came sort of through the experience of being a musician and 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 playing in our shitty little band <laughs> that's <laughs> so, amazing you know
0: i love that dude that's cool Sweet man, well, let's talk about <clears throat> growing up for you, man. Uh, I know you've probably touched on this on other podcasts, but I'm just curious—just uh, maybe some influences, some bands, some records that kind of uh, put you in the in the route that you went in your life.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't, you know, I lived in a pretty strict—not it, it was strict, but it was not the way people think of strict. We, you know, my family were all, you know, they're basically uh, Christians who used to be Hellraisers and. Um, You know, the whole biker hippie thing in the 70s and all that. And, you know, 60s and 70s was weird. And my parents, when they became Christians, got super conservative and were really controlling in terms of what kind of music uh, and and artistic influences I had. So when the punk rock scene sort of unfolded in my world in the the early 80s, um, I... I was like a you know sneaking into music kind of guy. Yeah. But in truth, the 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 bridge between the music that my parents sort of had us listening to all the time, and and then punk rock was uh, to some people this might seem weird, but it was you too. You know, love you uh, too. A, a buddy at school. It, you know, I didn't have really many friends um, in high school. As a as a freshman and a sophomore. I didn't really know anybody and we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We, I was growing up in, on the west side of Fresno. My parents became Christians, very quickly saw, like many people, that Fresno is, is a rough place mm. to live and um, so before we got too much older, I was nine, we, we moved out to the country to a little patch of dirt in Central California. And, um, so there's not a lot of buddies out there you know yeah not exactly not exactly hopping down the street to the local record store uh, yeah either so my influences were whatever came through their filter and then i go to high school and you know in my in my sophomore year of high school i met a guy named randy um who introduced me to this band that my parents would let me listen to which was u2 because they were christian guys and you know i hear the album war it was it changed my life. Yeah. The song I was, I was addicted to the song refugee uh, song. on that album. And I, I had never heard anything like it. And then, you know, now I'm, my mind, cause I didn't even really think much about music before that. <laughs> um, now I'm addicted to music right there from the spot. And, um, you know, next year in high school, between my sophomore and, and junior years, I turned punk <laughs> <laughs> uh, because a kid moved into my neighborhood. Um, he was like the only kid in my neighborhood. And so I went over his house. He came, he came Todd Thomas, he's like a semi pro cool. skateboarder. I go over to his house and he's got stacks of zines and all these records and all this stuff I'd never even knew existed. And wow. I heard, you know, um, I got really into like the positive youth thing, you know, uh, I was really big direct, like, um, what you call it, Youth Brigade fan and uh, Minor Threat was my absolute uh, favorite band of all time from that era, uh, Bad Brains, uh, um, even like uh, some of the, like the, any of the kind of regional stuff, like there was a band from fresno called capital punishment that i found out existed and even wow. knew that that was a thing and you know we had gilman street up in san francisco and then the la punk scene and hardcore scene in in los angeles i just tapped into anything i could get my hands on you know uniform choice oh man i i love that screaming for change record you know
0: that's sweet man were your parents cool with you listening to that stuff i think mean, you said it was kind of no. Absolutely not. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh,
1: one jam of, of minor threat dropping F-bombs would have been the uh, suspension <laughs> of all music. So basically what I did was, okay, like, my, my dad built our house, right? So uh, we lived upstairs. My brother moved in. He was my stepbrother. And he finally moved in during high school. And we, we got to build out the upstairs. And uh, my bed was, oh, was sort of against this wall. And my dad sort of built like a cubby hole into the wall where the power outlet, and that's where I put my record player in. Um, And I mean, I... That record player probably destroyed so many albums. Remember when (laughs) you're a kid, you don't know how bad it is to have such a shitty needle just carving into the, you know, to the vinyl, but... Anyway, uh, so that thing was inset into the wall, so there was like a little compartment behind it, you know, that you couldn't see. And I would borrow these records from Todd or from other guys from high school and bring them home and s- s- hide them behind <laughs> the album. I love that. Know. Oh, you're going to the record store? Uh, yeah. What's it called? Tower? It's called Tower Records. Here, there's is my allowance. Give me anything that's good. You know what I mean? That's and, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, man. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, going into those Bibles, you know, like the, uh, what do they call them, Christian bookstores, you know capitalism oh, has found its way in the church and uh, uh absolutely you know you go in and you i was looking for anything that sounded anything at all like any of the bands that i liked and there just wasn't anything you yeah. know that was back in the era of you know this band from orange county puts out a new you know this crush christian punk band puts out a new album and there's one song on it that you can play for your friends and the rest of it is just like what is this dude yeah uh, this is terrible yeah.
0: Well, um, so is that kind of what led you to maybe starting your own band? Obviously, The Crucified kind of came not far oh, after absolutely. that. Maybe talk about how you guys kind of came together. But let's talk about kind of that time in, in The Crucified as well, uh, sure. and maybe your, your thoughts looking back on that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like The Crucified was basically like uh, so many other Christian bands that existed before Tooth and Nail it's like born out of necessity you know a lot of us gen x kids parents came from a pretty destructive time period that whole post 60s thing i think scared a lot of parents you know yeah. about what was next for their kids and they got real strict and so you, there were a ton of kids who could only listen to christian music yep yeah. anything that was called quote unquote secular was out of You know, it's verboten and it's a sign you're backsliding or something, you know, uh, from a faith that you really don't know anything about. And you basically just agreed to because you were told you're Christian now. Yeah. So, so little conscious, um, like passion there. But, but, you know, anyway, the beginning was, it was also the beginning of deconstruction for sure. Sure. So. the. You know, all these bands, they were born because there was just nothing that you could play for your friends. And you wanted to listen to, to something that you could tell your parents, take hey, it off my back. These guys are Christians. So we just started our own bands. And, uh, you know, that in my sophomore year, I met all these Christian kids from school. that started going to this Bible study and they had a band called KGB. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was always, you know, being a uh kid all by myself out in the in the wood in you know not in the woods but in the in the weeds with a little sister who had nothing interesting from you know we were buddies really (laughs) uh i just didn't have any friends so i was drawing all the time I, i would just sit down and draw comic books and stuff like that and um you know when i discovered music i started doing drawing things that were i thought were music related you know in my little tiny brain and um, I met these kids at school. I started drawing on the back of their jackets and their, uh, shirts, you know, just trying to manufacture anything that was, that looked as cool as the stuff that we liked, but was also okay at to wear to church, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I met these dudes in this band and they called themselves KGB. And I asked them, what did KGB stand for? We don't know. We just liked the way the letters sound because they were all really big GBH fans. Yeah, so, yeah. There was like a certain aesthetic to this, to the initials. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You can't have. You don't want it to spell something. You know. You know unless you want it to spell something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so it just there was like all these different uh, people were always changing the order of letters that they thought were aesthetically cooler sounding but sure. not necessarily meaning anything so they came up through our conversations we came up with kids and god's blessings because i wanted to be able to draw real punk logos you know yeah and uh uh that was the name of the band and then you know their singer and the and the band split ways and so they asked me if i wanted to try out and i did and that was what how i got into the band we changed our name to directed youth which was one of our one of kgb's early songs um but you know i was all into that whole byo uh positive youth thing and you know directed youth sounded like something you would see on a bag of a uh, youth brigade record and then um uh we moved on from that wanted something that was a little more uh less youth because like our drummer was a man now he's 18 (laughs) he doesn't want to be known as a youth you know and so uh jim chaffin said there's so many other names we could have and we haven't put anything out let's let's come up with a new name before we do our first demo tape you know and uh and i was like well what are some of the names and he spit out a couple things he's like you know the crucified or whatever and i was like the crucified you know and then galatians 220 was involved so you could put it on all your t-shirts you know and yeah so when you show up at at youth group and they're like what's this you're like look it's christian there's the bible verse you know (laughs) um and the crucified was empirically and, and uh, aesthetically a badass name. Yeah. So that was the name we picked, and I started, you know, incorporating the crown of thorns and the cross and all my doodling and stuff like that. I I doodled up that logo, and the next thing you know, dude, that was on every single thing we did for a long time, and became a tattoo. And but again, it was literally because there was nothing cool. Yeah. <laughs> dude. I mean, our first show was with was with uh the Alter boys the only band that you could kind of play and not feel super embarrassed about no offense to anybody else they were doing what they were trying to do it yeah. just wasn't what we were trying to do sure and you know uh uh you know what was the band uh um god rules undercover undercover oh, had yeah. the two songs you know yeah two songs god rules and uh Hey, uh, wait a minute. Those were the okay. two songs you could always play and be like, see, these are punk, there you know? <laughs> <laughs> Punk's for Christ. <laughs> yeah. And then that whole thing started, which we hated. So uh, not a Christian punk was a thing that was born. It's yeah. just, you know, organic things happen the same your, way all the time. Were
0: your parents in, okay? I mean, you mentioned they weren't, in, were they okay with you being in a Christian punk band or were they a little they were like? Very,
1: uh, very skeptical very skeptical my mom was a photographer you know she had sort of taken up photography as a hobby and she took us uh you know we asked her if she would shoot our band photos you know so we'd like you know look for a place that was cool out in the middle of nowhere you know we're in, in, in madera ranchos was where i grew up and it's literally just a dirt patch so we're like taking pictures in front of our well and pump house and stuff, <laughs> you know. That's uh, amazing. Back then, man, everybody wore a leather jacket every single day, no, no matter how hot it was or cold it was, you wear yeah. a leather jacket, you know. Oh, yeah. And so we're like walking around in the weeds. And then we went to Madeira, the, the rough and tumble town of Madeira, and took some ph- photos over at the place where our drummer Jim, where he was working, Madeira Produce. And my mom took those demos and those pictures are in some of those early uh, promo photos. They're in some of our wow. old demos and stuff. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Looking, looking back on, on the time of the Crucified, how, I mean, how do you, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, probably dig what you kind of planted, but at the same time, I'm sure there's some, some cringy parts of it, but well, looking back, oh, on yeah. it, how, how do you feel about your time, you know, the band in, in
1: general, and maybe the mark that it left on a lot of people's lives? Um, I feel great about it you got i gotta pause for just a second. Um, you can keep it going. I just want to do this really fast so that my wife can see <laughs> my dog <laughs> wants to be in this room so bad that's so funny and she's she's sitting outside the door with her paw underneath the door like I'm here I love no worries. My feelings on it are that it was uh it was great for what it was. I mean, yeah, man, there were some pretty. Cringy moments, definitely, you know, that led to cringier moments. And, uh, you know, but i when you're 14 and you don't know who you are, you're going to go through a few cycles before sure. you figure out what you really want to do. And for a person like myself, it's essentially like, uh, a stunted growth, stunted maturity, still borderline child, uh, mentality. Um, it took a little longer. I mean, I didn't really, I would say I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to be until my mid-20s, you know? Yeah, same here. Um, so just, you know, and I don't know. I think that's probably fairly common, although some people, the ones who are truly great, I think, they knew who they are from the get-go. You know, um, I was always a bit of a poser. So I just, just tried to find my way to fit in, you know? That's what yeah. happens in it. You're uh, 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 the oldest of, of really two kids, and then you get a stepbrother and he has no interest in you whatsoever. Although now me and my brother are closer than we ever were. That's awesome. You know, you just don't know who you are, dude. You and, no and totally. There's no like, there's no scene in which to develop who you are. You know, it took a lot of while. So yeah. the crucified was, you know, for me that was like a it was awesome. And absolutely, like, a blast. And, dude, I mean, uh, those guys, I always brag, I've never played in a band with a bad drummer, from The Crucified to uh, Outer Circle to Stavesacre, obviously, to White Lighter and and Neon Horse. Never, ever have I been in something where the drummer is just like, what, you know? And if you have a good drummer, you can have a good band. And uh, our guitar player was excellent. Greg was a great guitar player from early on we traded bass players a lot. And then the fact that Jeff blue was the bass player in in the crucified at some point should say a lot about how great of a musician he was. So I got to play with a lot of really good, um, musicians and, um, and literally in every band, I'm not just saying that like, everybody had their own thing, Dirk, Ryan, you know, Sam, Neil, like everybody, if you hear a Jason Martin guitar, Lick, yeah. you know who you're listening yeah. to, you know, yeah. So, I don't know, I would say I am very appreciative of it. Um, you know, my first introduction to music being you two, I always kind of had a little bit of a grandiose sort of uh, idea of where music could go. Um, and that was an eternally frustrating and somewhat disappointing thing to not go there, you know, yeah. But I yeah. thought, man, there was a window there where I thought for sure that scene, that kind of post hardcore scene was where everything was going. And then 9-11 happened and then the ship went south. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, Looking back uh, on The Crucified, what's your favorite
1: uh, record that you put out from that time? Well, Pillars was definitely my favorite album. Like it felt like a real album. Um, The self-titled was just like a collection of every single song we've ever written. And you're, when you're doing that, you don't really, you're not thinking about the way, an, it's, you're not putting out an art piece that's called sure. an album. And again, that was really not a thing that a lot of people were thinking about yet, you know. But then the 90s started approaching and, and, and album concepts were becoming a thing. And, like you know, this elevation uh, from like ha- hair bands to like a punk rock consciousness, but uh, maybe a little broader, um, swath of emotions you know yeah. the grunge thing was born absolutely from the the marriage of rock and punk rock so uh i would say to answer your question i didn't know what making a record was until the 90s and then when we, you know right before we went to go track pillars of humanity uh my buddy alan aguirre oh, yeah. said you know what you know we played uh, countless shows together saw some wild shit together uh, uh-huh. Alan told me, you know, hey, Mark, I've always loved The Crucified, but I can't listen to your records. They're just, it's not an album, you know, and no big deal, Alan. You just hurt hurt my (laughs) feelings. But no, I took it as kind of a gauntlet thing. Like, hey, man, you know, I think he's right. It's like, yeah, we need to put out a piece of music that says where we are. And we are from Fresno. You know, at this point now, everybody's back and living in the city. And, uh, you know, it's a weird town. It doesn't have a lot of things to hang its hat on. Um, And, uh, you know, we just sort of thought, well, what what is Fresno? Fresno was that. It's this sort of like, it's nowhere. You know, no town was a, a little slogan and had for a while (laughs) you know which means it's nothing it's nowhere but it's also a very negative we lead with no in fresno you know yeah uh and so we wrote a record about that man you know uh so called living was a song about being a 21 year old kid trying to afford an apartment in 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 a city where you know dudes are are in your in your in your apartment room when you come home from work you know (sighs) who's this Oh, they yeah. came through the window, you know, uh, and that—that that just. Uh, but also to try to write that piece of art from uh, a place of very zealous um, faith, you know. Yeah. And I still didn't know who I was or what doctrine was or theology was. I hadn't studied anything yet, and uh, there's good and bad things about that. But I would say that that that. The, the so-called living and, and, you know, pillars of humanity musically, definitely not artistically in terms of the album cover, but musically it's, um, it was the best thing I, I we did as stage, yeah. as, as the crucified.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I would, I would agree with that. I would probably, that's probably my favorite as well.
1: Um, and I was honest. I will say this dude, the two songs we wrote after that, that were going to be on the next crucified record, they were really good, but they were not honest. You know, uh, I was a bum, dude. I was a piece of shit. I didn't have a real job. I was constantly mooching off of people, and you know, had this overinflated, you know, ego. Um, that's why you make solo records. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> it was like I don't. It, it was based on nothing, and yeah, and uh, and it showed. And you know, so those two songs I was writing from a well of nothing. Yeah, it, you know, back to no. poserdom. No, I got you. I got
0: you. So the band ends, obviously, and, and let's kind of touch on the Native Son a little bit. I, I kind of tell me what, where that kind of came out, what it, that birthed from, and and maybe your thoughts on on that time, and of course, Life in the Grave record. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, obviously it's a different outlet um, in terms of of music. So yeah, just curious, what kind of where that began, and and what it brought from it, what you got from it. I, guess.
1: Uh, I mean, it came. <laughs> I would say equal parts uh, love for, I loved really uh, like that filthy 70s and late 60s soul. I was a major, major Sly and the Family Stone fan. And at the heart of me, I wanted to make music that was that filthy sound. The yeah. bridge between The Crucified and Sly and the Family Stone isn't a practical one. No, not um, at all. And you know, it was the early 90s. Um, so, like, 90s hip-hop was... It, it was the new punk rock, man. It yeah, just took over everything. And, you know, in all honesty, like... It, I wasn't... Um, it was ignorant. Native Son was an ignorant record. You know? Uh, and I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way. I, I just... I loved rap music, and um, I loved Public Enemy so much, dude. I would have listened to them every single day. I probably listened to them every single day. I loved the BC Boys. I loved everything yeah. that came out of Compton. I, anything that had some ferocity to it and some yeah. unsettling message behind it, totally. I would have And then I, you know, while that's happening, we spent a night. We stole some beers, you know, typical Christian singer of The Crucified would do. We stole some (laughs) beers and sat, and Mark Johnson, the second bass player of The Crucified, we sat in his living room and drank the six-pack of like Bud Light or something and got a massive headache and Mm. listened to this new record that he had. Uh, I don't know if he was out of the band yet or not, but it was called Paul's Boutique, and it was like the marriage of all this filthy funk music that I loved and hip-hop together and then, you know, you find out, like, all the production... That was back when people were reading all the credits on records and stuff like that. Yeah. And you see the connection between that music, um, the production of that album, the Shock Lee Brothers, and Public Enemy... Like, there was all this stuff squashed together, the Bomb Squad and all that. And, like, I just, like... I was like, there's got to be a, a marriage in there. And then, you know, on on Public Enemy's... Um, I think it's Nation of Millions... You know, she watched Channel Zero, has Kenny King, or Carrie King, the guitar player from Slayer. From Slayer, and there's Def Jam that's, you know, Slayer, Danzig. All that stuff is squashed together, and if you're not a great artist, you get Native Son. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty much what happened, dude. It was was definitely an identity crisis. I mean, you know we're sitting there playing crucified shows and I'm sure Jim and Greg especially and blue blue always was just like talking constantly (laughs) because he could see this identity crisis that I was in. And so, you know, but Jim, Jim never understood the obsession with rap music at all. So it it was a double miss for him. And you know, me on stage, dude, I'm like hopping around. Like I'm um, in, every one of the music videos we were watching on MTV, you know, it was just probably a very, very painful thing for people to watch. But I meant every second of it, you know? It, yeah. There, there were two kind of transitional bands that squashed a lot of those things together for people. Again, the nineties were, you, you know, dude, they were yeah. full of this kind of stuff, but oh, yeah. I mean, how many bands, thrash metal bands, punk rock bands how many bands took weir- two or three weird steps just to- so they could squish into their band a flea style slap bass player yeah i mean think about that sacred reich did it um from the metal side uh we were obsessed with the sacred reich That's, that's like an ep they put out it was incredible um and then uh there was the chili peppers you know and fish bones. So sacred, right. Tried to find a way to incorporate that stuff. Uh, suicidal tendencies end up kind of dis- disintegrating and turning into infectious grooves. You remember that? Yep. Oh, I mean, yeah. It was like a really awkward time. There's plenty of footage out there for people to be embarrassed by, but you know, I was, I tried to do everything. Um, and because I couldn't do much of anything, I wasn't a musician. I wasn't a producer. I wasn't a rapper, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, the ignorance part, though, where it comes negative was a, was a complete lack of regard and education, truthfully, about cultural appropriation, dude. That was not a concept in 1989. Yeah. No one knew jack shit about that that was white. No white yeah. people knew about that. Totally. Um, and it really hadn't been uh, communicated very well. You know, Judgment Night soundtrack. I was going to say that. That's you know? the, yeah, that was great. Yeah, that yeah, was like Everything was so mixed up together, and, and honestly, that was the birth of Lollapalooza, and yep. a very cool cultural phenomenon. So, there were good and bad. <laughs> we lost a couple soldiers along the way. <laughs> you know, for every Native son, you get a Lollapalooza. Hey, yeah. Hey, man. Give you get reality of my surroundings, or that's you, know, funny. Like the, you know, that's but hilarious. the musicianship, dude. I mean, some of those guys that were in that band that played in. On that record with me, they were from a band in Fresno called Black Fry, and they were great. They were a very, very talented band. That's very cool, man. Well, a wall society.
0: You know, it sounds like you know, even though it was kind of a a blip in the radar, if you will, uh, or of or of ignorance, as you say. I mean, it's still part of your past and part of your history, and and you, like you said, the identity uh, crisis of it all. You know, you kind of it still was an art artistic uh, outlet, which is cool and. Something that, looking back on it, you know, it's kind of in your palette and your pantheon, I guess, if you will, of of music, and it's still cool. I mean, I I listened to it, you know, because I knew we were going to talk to you, just, and I was. It's just so different, but it's cool (laughs) now that you've explained that, though. It makes a a lot more sense, you know.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, uh, do I regret making it? It, it, For a lot of reasons, yeah, but for a lot of reasons, no. I love hanging out with uh, those guys making the record, Jeff and Wade, in particular you know Wade Krause is an incredible drummer and to to this day that guy in the weird periphery of of former musicians who find like their own thing he is like the the authority on vintage pinball machines that's you know? so cool those guys were great and uh, Tyler Burke told me one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life on uh, making that record uh, anyone who is watching this who's heard me tell it all i'll say is pb and j jeremy (laughs) we can discuss this later uh, (laughs) um i also um i would say that once it came out and once i saw the reaction of people which by the way there was a promo of that record that had quotes from all these people saying how good it was wow and, and None of them saying how good it was afterwards, you know what I mean? no one ever <laughs> talked about it again That's but, hysterical um uh you know it was a chance to get on a promo- uh promo uh poster. Why wouldn't you say something cool but the uh what what the best thing that came out of that was uh, complete devastation of my the illusion i the delusion I was living under i mean really yeah. i i Shortly after the album came out, I had burned every possible bridge in Fresno. Wow. Um, I I had hurt a lot of people's feelings, mm. um, had let a lot of people down, embarrassed a lot of people, and then and had these these delusions of grandeur that were unfounded, you know. And so, what happens with life, dude? Uh, it shows you real quick that that's yeah. nothing real, you know. I will mostly remember the post Native Son era. As me living homeless for a couple months in Southern California, where my band The Crucified used to sell out every show we ever played. Wow! I was living in my truck um, and sleeping on floors. Uh, to uh, my truck broke down. I got like really terrible jobs. I remember walking down to Topanga Canyon Road in 1993 with nothing, just. Wow. I have nothing. Every car driving by me is playing, like, you know, the chronic or whatever, or, you know, the latest, uh, I remember hearing, you know, let me ride. I feel like I heard that. A yeah. Lot. Uh, oh, walking yeah. down that street, you know, um, which is what something that I kind of allude to later in, in the last days of your album, just, uh, you know, marking the time for me. But so with, that that era just it it broke me, dude. I mean, I I think of it as my Nebuchadnezzar times, where I'm out. Oh, no, I guess you. My fingernails are like long antlers.
0: <laughs> Man, hey, you know, at least you can look back on it and 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 see that. That's kind of cool. You know, like you said, maybe you yeah. had to, maybe you had to have those moments to to get you to where you are now. And you know, oh, yeah. you know, it's cool that you know, you can look back on that in in that perspective, at least. So, uh, let's talk about that. I know you have such an extensive catalog, so I don't really want to go too far into it. And then you probably talked about it a lot, but let's talk me through how the band kind of came together. Maybe how, where the band name came from. And then I, I want you to tell me your favorite record now, and we can talk about that one, um, for a little bit.
1: Okay. I'll try and be quick. It's basically, I was all by myself, you know, crucified broke up. Uh, Native son went nowhere. Um, I'm living in Southern California. I have really no contact because when the crucified broke up, Jeff, who was living in in Southern California when we first met him, he moved back home eventually. And uh, you know, through a year or so of just nonsense, I ended up. Uh, you know, I I left my apartment in in uh, Woodland Hills and moved down to Orange County. Uh, Tim Mann from from uh focus uh focused invited me to come and live with them and through a long series of events i definitely believe that god saved my life there that's awesome why i truly do not know you know i broke my lease in august of 93 in february of 94 when i still would have been living there with nothing i mean just barely making rent just barely getting food to eat uh, that was the Northridge earthquake, and my apartment was destroyed. But wow. because I was living in Huntington Beach, I was okay. And yeah. uh, you know, Clank was staying at our house. I don't know if you know who Clank is, but yeah. he was staying at the Newman house. That all those bands came through. You know, outnumbered and unashamed. Yeah, you know, focused to a focused. All these bands were there. Um, It just was a good it was it was a weird kind of humbling but also a reconnection so balloon moves back down there he knows all those focused guys including dirk him and dirk have been best friends forever you know um and dirk and everybody was always over at newman house i mean there was always 25 30 people there wow and uh i you know i met jeremy Moffat. he came he was my roommate for a while and uh uh it got too crowded and too weird and we all kind of moved to different places. But it, by reconnecting with Blue, uh we we had we I lived in Long Beach for like three months right after Newman and uh me and Blue hung out a lot there and you know he wasn't making any music, I wasn't making any music and he's like, you know, let's let's do something and I was just like he's like, you know, are you ever gonna do anything else? And I was like, Yeah, I'd love to, but you know, I want to do something different. He's like, you want to make rap music? And I was like, no, dude, those, (laughs) that is over. I understand the error of my ways. I want to do something different though. I want to do something that isn't being done yet. And there's gotta be a marriage of these styles of music, you know? So, uh, shortly after that, I moved down to back down to Huntington beach and, uh, Jeff and Dirt came by one night and they're like, this is what we want to do. And they hand me this stack of CDs and it's like, "Was has Burn. <laughs> um, I think it was a Job Jawbox or a Jawbreaker record. Oh, Job but, Box is great. Uh, but two big ones that really just hit, hit me like a ton of bricks was uh, um, the first Quicksand album, Slip. Yeah, it's great. And uh, the first nine, Orange Nine Millimeter record. Great um, record. Driver Not Included. And they're like, this is what we want to do. Do you want to do this? And I said, you know, yeah. And this weird thing happened where, I'm, you know, like I said, you used to look through all the credits and kind of see where the connections were. Um, I see this name on the Driver Not Included album and it's Brian Karlstrom. And I, I had been introduced to Brian a few years earlier and we remained friends. He was in line to produce the next Crucified album. So. Wow that was the hope that he would maybe do it. Yeah. Because he had worked on Allison Chains Dirt, and that sonically was just perfection in my mind. And uh, you know, we're never gonna get Dave Jordan, uh, but we might, maybe we could get Brian, cause you know, his name's on this record too. Uh, and uh, sure enough, you know, uh, I started talking to him again about it. And we, you know, we went to this, uh, to this new festival um, called The Warped Tour. And, <laughs> you know, we practiced a couple times now. You know, we thought about doing some things. In the middle of that, I had started playing with Outer Circle. Um, yeah. and my buddy Kevin and Jeff and Dirk actually kind of came in to play with Outer Circle for a second, but it just wasn't what they wanted to do. Sure. So when they brought me that stack of CDs, it was just like, this is what we want to do. Now That probably makes a little bit more sense. But um, we all went to The Warped Tour and saw... Uh, these bands play, uh, you know, Orange Nine Millimeter was going to play, Sick of It All was going to play, and Quick was going to play. Like, that's a no-brainer. I'm going. Yeah. You know, this random band that had been floundering around Southern California and playing huge shows in L.A. and then nothing anywhere else uh, was going to be having their, their biggest show ever. No doubt it's going to play the Warped Tour. Maybe this, something's going to happen. And then, of course, out wow. came Tragic Kingdom and they blew up. But, you know... There was this other scene of music there that I thought was really where everything was going. Yeah. And uh, uh you know, oh yeah, you should come and see this band play. They're called Deftones and I've I have said this many times, but I hate, you know, I hate ska. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really truly hate ska. I just don't get it like that. Era it's of not ska. your bag. Not your bag, I still listen to <laughs> Madness. I still listen to Specials, but that yeah. era of ska I wasn't feeling. And of course, you know, that became the biggest music form in the world. But, um, you know, Oh, the Deftones, that's like ska band. I'm not going to see it. I thought the same thing, dude. I thought the same thing. Uh, Just come and see them. And sure enough, they weren't, and they were incredible. And right then we knew like, this is it. This is where things are going. This is what we want to do. So the guys left outer circle, you know, and I said, you know, Hey, Kevin, maybe we'll do something later, which we did, you know, a few years later. And then, uh, we started practicing with Jeremy. Jeremy was a drummer. He was my roommate. So we started playing and he really wanted to do the crucified. He wanted to reform the crucified and start all over, but I was not interested in doing that. Yeah.
0: And,
1: you know, he eventually left Stavesacre and went on to be in the blamed and, you know, he wanted yeah. to play hardcore. So uh, it worked out better. Cause Sam was um, much more uh, in tune with where we were at musically and, and, and uh, his discipline was incredible. It was, perf- it was a perfect transition for us. So yeah, that's yeah. how Staves in truth, like Staves started in 95 and, you know, practicing in that little thing. And the idea to put out the three song uh, demo, 100% was inspired by the three song demo by the Deftones that was circling around Warm Tour. Like that's the way you do it, man. Just record yeah. your own shit, put it out on a little demo tape and, yeah. and just pass it around, get people to talk about it maybe. And they yeah. did, you know.
0: No, no. That's cool. What, uh, where'd the band name come from?
1: Uh, we didn't want anything that was significant of anything religious. We, you know, we weren't trying to, at that point I had realized I am not a preacher. I just want to play music. Yeah. You know, but this is the scene that I know the most. I wish that I had not stayed in the Christian music scene. You know, uh, it's easy to say now, but, uh, I think it would have been better for the band to see if we really had potential. had we started somewhere else? But it was. It wasn't conscious. It was just like this. These guys will book us. Let's play that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was no Christian music scene. There was Cornerstone, and that was it. Yep. And um, so <clears throat> we didn't want anything that was like so overtly Christian. You know, we didn't want to sell our faith. It just we just totally. wanted to be a band. And Baloo was this weird guy who read the dictionary all the time, and uh, he was looking. St- I feel like he was looking up the word staunch for something. And, you know, cause that was all, back then that was all, all the bands were like single syllable, you know, or like one word. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, or just always, it was like, you know, shift. Yeah. Uh, uh, quick, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he's looking up staunch and, uh, burn and, uh, sure enough a tool and he sees the word stavesacre and he reads this definition and it's just insane it's like this flower that was used you know in the 1800s or whatever they would grind up the seeds and use it to kill rats wow. um and uh, but then it also could produce this flower that was you know very beautiful and it kind of represented the dichotomy because our conversation was we don't want to be everything uh, all the time yeah. there are other emotions that we are feeling and we would sure. like to communicate those so that's where it came from
0: that's cool that's awesome so you know tooth and nail kind of came into the picture with that obviously and um mm-hmm. you know I, I did they come after you was it kind of like when you guys you know came together
1: did you pitch it to them or how, how did that kind of happen well out of the newman era brandon's e- evil came around and started you know he got to know everybody and at the time it was just like you guys gotta meet this guy brandon he's he wants to start his own record label. He used to work at frontline and, um, you know, he came around and everybody got to know him and stuff like that. And, uh, he, he, you know, he showed some really, uh, incredible character back in the day. Uh, there were things that had happened back then around, there's a lot of, you know, broken kids back there. Sure. And, um, we just, you know, everybody just kind of thought, you know, I think this guy might be all right. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, uh, we i don't know how to say it man it sounds like i'm rewriting history it's so simple but it really isn't dude he just he saw the perfect opportunity he basically took those conversations that everybody was having this wasn't my revelation that all these records have one good song and the rest of them rest of the record you don't care about like that was what everybody was thinking and he had this thing where like why don't i just start a label that has all bands with all good songs you yeah know I mean? like totally. all songs that you want to play to, for your friends and you know when uh that wish for eden album came out it was so in that helmet yeah quicksand kind of vibe that it, it just seemed like something inevitable was happening there <clears throat> so uh when when stageacre you know came together you know i think um you know, Brandon was a big crucified fan, so sure he, he was had had been you know he put out our demos and stuff like that yeah the, the crucified demos were like the tenth release by Tooth and nail, so when he found out about the new band, he was immediately interested and he, it was just like of course of course you're going to sign a record deal with it. you got it. <laughs> yeah. like it was, it was he wasn't happening. he wasn't trying to hear that we were going to do something else. he was going to put yeah. that album out yeah, you know and uh you know, I think there was a shared, uh, fail there, you know, Brandon, I'm sure would take back some things and I'm sure I would take back some things, you know, there were expectations that we were, uh, again, you can, you can, delusions are stubborn, Sure, but that being said, um, he came to every, every chance he had to come to the studio. We reconnected with Brian Carlstrom. um, you know, Brian told me later that if, if Stavesacre had sounded like the crucified, he was going to say no out the gate. He, wow. he, you know, he would have told me no, if we asked him to do the crucified, he wasn't interested in doing that kind of music. He wanted to do rock. And so when he heard the demo, he was blown away that we weren't playing punk rock. And he came down and Brian and I drove up and down PCH in my old, um, 64 T bird that's in the outer circle video. And, uh, listened to this demo over and over again. And he said, we're, we're going to make this record. Let's do it. That's cool. You know? And I feel like that gave Brandon a little wind at his back. Like, man, this might actually be worth the investment. Cause we, yeah. he, you know, there was money that he spent right there to go to El Dorado studios, to be, to have the album mastered by Brian Gardner that, you know, big, big bass, Brian, the absolute master of low end records, you know, yeah. legendary, uh, uh legendary um, mastering mastering engineer so uh Brandon I remember Brandon came to to the studio and I had just done my big emotional walk that I've talked about many times where you know I took my cassette player (laughs) and my cassette of all the new jams and I we had five songs mixed and I was so excited I just popped them in my head and walked around Hollywood you know, because I had thought for sure I was never going to make any music again and I didn't know where my life was going. Sure. Three, four years later, here I am doing this. So it was incredible for me. Um, but I was so proud of him. And then Brandon showed up and it was just like the timing, dude, was perfect. Yeah. Like, I was so emotionally ex- excited about the album. Brandon shows up and we play it for him out in the car and he's just freaking out, you know. And I remember his, his uh, remark was this sounds like a general market record <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a statement that no one would ever say anymore you know what i mean that's just but um uh, but truthfully dude like it was hard to get records to sound like that like how are they getting and yeah you know we didn't know a lot we i think everybody was learning a lot
0: you know yeah man absolutely well let me uh, ask you what's your favorite Zacker record and let's talk about that record for just a few minutes uh, just I know you guys have put out quite a few and they're all you know equally awesome but uh yeah just curious what you, what your favorite uh was or is I should say and and maybe your thoughts
1: on it I mean I love every Staves Ecker record uh I don't well, I don't love the self-titled album and there's a good reason for that but uh, for everything else I loved everything, but I would say probably the album that I come back to the most is an EP, the Against the Silence EP that we did. It was when Baloo came back, um, you know, because he had been gone for a couple records. He really, he he helped write Speakeasy, absolutely. He was a huge part of that, but it was like Speakeasy took forever to finish. Mm. We didn't think we were ever going to finish the album. Brian was really, really sick. Um recording had completely changed everything was shifting to digital and all of our stuff was on digital files that most people didn't know how to access wow a lot of people had never used uh pro tools before our album our our third album speakeasy was spread over three different hard drives dude wow you know that was back when macintosh had these tower hard drives yeah and like Um, nobody really knew what to do with it. It would be like getting all the parts of a human body and having zero idea how to reconnect them and being told, make a person.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Uh,
1: Or else they'll die, you know what I mean? So uh, after Baloo left and we did a couple things without him, I was really kind of sad, you know? And then um, Neil left and Baloo came back and we just all reconnected and we did Against the Silence. And that album, you know, I had become friends with Jason Martin, so he helped produce it. It was like the real core of all of our buddies yeah. together. You know, uh, uh, Steve Dale, also known as Dave Steele, um, by me, and uh, <laughs> and uh, 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 Randy, like they were part of our crew. We were all really tight. So we all got to work on stuff together, you know? That's cool. Because um, those guys had worked on, on uh, How to Live the Curse. So it just, you know, it was really... Uh, a good thing to happen and it was a very sincere record and I felt like had some of our some of our uh, best uh, example of the of the different emotions we can go you know, yeah, there wasn't really a a burning clean or a silver and gold you know, a gold and silver uh, moment there but there were deep emotional uh, expressions on that album and I felt like it was uh it was cool the guy who did the artwork was tony streeter he was like one of our one of our uh, street team guys for years and he had become you know a very talented uh designer and he did the, the design for for how to live with a curse but none of us it just it felt like we missed something there so for him to be able to come back and kind of do it all himself was really cool that's cool uh, you know he had done he did bull fighter as well it's like it was cool. It was cool to have all the guys together. That's awesome. I'm probably forgetting somebody, but oh, Brian uh Brian Carlstrom didn't come back, but we did it with Jason. Jason Martin. So it just again, it was like yeah, everything just all fell into place. Yeah, yeah. And dude, oh. I mean, there's songs on there. Uh, that last song on that album is about my life story, basically. That's you know cool. Those songs that I'm talking about, I was out of step. But not alone. That was about discovering Minor Threat and Youth Brigade, and you know that that's whole cool. like uh, Sound of Fury era. So, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Uh, what's your favorite Stave Zanker song of all that you've written or been a uh, part of? I should say. I know there's a lot, hmm. but
1: I don't know that I have one. I will say, you know, my cousin came in uh, when we got back together and did 1995 which was a great experience, you know, and everybody in truth, everybody had come back together at that point. I mean, Neil even came and hung out with us a few times. David Cotton was hanging out with us. You know, like we got to see a lot of the homies, all the, you know, the air shark gorilla, those guys were there. Um, But my, my cousin came, she's, she's a drummer. Uh, She plays for a huge pops pop star right now olivia rodrigo but Haley was a great drummer but also this is before all that stuff she was a really uh talented artist and still is she still makes music i'm she's probably DJing and and then and then you know her day job but um i knew she was a singer and back then all i had heard her doing in terms of music was like sitting on the porch at my grandma's house playing playing the guitar and singing with her sisters and you know she has such a sweet voice so she was going to school at Cal State Northridge at the time, and I think had just graduated, was working for, like, Zildjian Symbols and stuff, and I was like, hey, dude, we're doing this song. It's about Grandma and Grandpa's house. Do you want to come? That's cool. And, and sit with me and sing with me, and she did, and she came and wrote her own part, which was really good and I never would have thought of, and it was really sweet and awesome. That little da-da-da-da-da, the way she sang everything, you know, it was beautiful. So, um, uh, I would say that's probably my favorite song. It's, just, it's about my, you know, a very important part of my life. So.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. That's that's really cool. Um, that's cool that uh, you guys got to play Furnace Fest a couple years ago. Get get the band back together.
1: How was that for you guys? Yeah. It was great. It was, it was great. Uh, it took a lot of work. Uh, it took a lot of. <laughs> People are always like dude how come you guys don't go back on the road is, you, you should you should do a few more shows like dude do you have any idea yeah i know like people do still think that we're rich and we made money off of music and none of us did <laughs> not stage acre nobody um uh, there are about three bands that i know that we played shows with who made any real money and literally everybody else is finding other ways to make dough. yeah but yeah. Uh, It was cool because we all, you know, we all got together out at Dirk's place out in Atlanta, you know, stayed together for a couple nights to really rehearse. You know, we did a lot of stuff online, which, you know, back in the day never would have been possible. Uh, And then, you know, we got to get in the room and and make our ears ring again. And I mean, not for nothing, man, but I played with Jim Chaffin, dude. That guy is an absolute monster playing drums. But Sam West is still, still the, I don't know how to say this best, of every drummer I've played with, no one hits the drums with as much force as Sam West. It is, I can still remember the first couple times playing with him like, dude, (laughs) I am never going to be able to hear again. And now I have <laughs> raging tinnitus all the time, but it was great to get together. You know, we saw we saw um, uh, Brian Gray, who, you know, who oh, for so Brian. many years, you know, ran the ran the encore stages at Cornerstone and was the, you know, s- still does the blamed and, you know, was my roommate for ten minutes at Newman. Surprisingly. <laughs> we saw Brian, uh, We saw Brandon Ebel again. We saw Billy Power. Um, cool. You know, all Ryan Luther. I mean, dude, Ryan Luther yeah. is the reason why I know you. He's the reason I know, why I, I know. He's the reason why I have the job that I have right now. He's personally. amazing. Between he's so him cool. and Alex Ruschetti, I would not have the career that I have, except that they were fans of Staves Acre. I there don't get go. that. That's very <laughs> bizarre. That's amazing, dude. Oh, well, so real quick, just
0: to sum this up, looking back uh, on the band in general, how, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, it sounds like you have some fond memories of it, obviously. Um, just looking back at the mark that you guys maybe left.
1: I mean, they're my brothers dude. And, uh, I, I will absolutely, uh, say, uh, if the guys are listening to, to you and you know who you are, we all love you. And we are, we carry the weight. The weight is being carried. We are, we are with you forever. So, That's a fact. They're my brothers. I love them. And, 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 uh, he knows who he is and who I'm talking to, but we, you know, life is rough, dude. There are ups and downs. And, uh, you know, like you and I talked about right before we started, it's, it's, it's uncommon to, uh, to meet people and to stay with them even in the way like yourself and I are. But, to have lifelong brothers like that who aren't cool. in my family is uh, invaluable. You know, what's the uh, old page of the line? It's hard to m- find a friend. <laughs> it's yeah, true and it's yeah. real. So uh, we love them. And, you know, if we ever play it again, it would be uh, my absolute joy. I would love to do it. It was great to do that. Furnace Fest. It was great to make... 1995 it was great to be able to put it out and hand it to people all the stuff on is doing to reissue yeah. our old records, He's it. all of yeah. those things you know and, and we awesome. love
0: doing it man. absolutely man well that's good to i love that i love hearing that man sweet let's uh, let's uh, talk about some of these other records uh briefly um outer sure. circle you mentioned it earlier uh you kind of mm-hmm. were doing this while you were doing staves acre let's talk about that how that kind of came together and, and the record you put out um and how that kind of came together
1: Yeah, you know, Kevin and I have known each other longer than almost anybody I know. I've known him since I was 18. You know, he used to come to Crucified shows, and uh, we'd hang out and talk all the time. And, you know, I met him and his first wife when they were still boyfriend and girlfriend uh, out in our driveway out in the ranchos. He's one of the only people who's outside of the crucified who knows where I li- really did live. Anyway, that's cool. You know, he and I have known each other forever. And, uh, you know, he wanted to do this band and he got these guys to play, uh, Matt and Jesse. And, you know, um, we jammed for a while. It was fun, but it just, at the time that it was happening, it was right after the crucified and I really did need to do something else. And, uh, you know, when when Jeff and, and Dirk came and played with us, it just became clear that musically that wasn't a match. Uh, and, you know, that's a hard conversation to have, man. Hey, I'm going to quit the band and go do this other thing, and we're going to get a record deal and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I, I think it was it was a tough thing, but I said, listen, when the time comes, let's get back together and make a record. And yeah. We, we had a few songs, you know, and Kevin and Jesse and Matt kept writing whenever they could. And uh, once um, – things kind of got rolling. There was that time when uh, Steve Kravak was doing all these MXPX records and, yep. and Stavesaker and MXPX were really tight because our first tour real first two real tours were with MX and we just, we were, we were friends with them because we were all kids and um, but we were like the older brothers, you know, <laughs> 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 who watched their, watched their younger brothers like leap past everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one of many. Pod being the next, you know. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, those guys should be so very proud of everything that they have accomplished. Absolutely. And, uh, it has nothing to do with any of us. That is their <laughs> hard work. The uh, uh, so, but we go, you know, go meet Steve Kravak and he was like, you know, kind of a cool idea. I and mean, this guy, this guy, if, if I did a punk rock record, I would like to do it with this guy. And then. Uh, One day we, I don't remember where we tracked it. It might've even been Moonstone, but we tracked a demo, um, for outer circle and, uh, kind of played coy with a little bit, you know, and Billy power was working at tooth and nail at that point. He's like, what's this? You're telling me there's a punk rock record that you made. And I didn't even know that you had this band. (laughs) I've known you longer than everyone. And that's, a fact. I mean, I've known Billy since I was 16 and, uh, you know, Like I met him when I was 16 and we were pen pals when I was 14. He was annoyed that he wasn't the first person to hear the outer circle demo. So yes, he liked it. He signed us. We put the record out and it was like a cool thing to be able to do. I mean, what a luxury, man. I, you know, it's not like I made tooth and nail any money off of that record. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? They just put it out for fun and because it was a cool thing to do. I'm sure it generated some cash, but it wasn't, it was not a huge thing, but it was fun to do. And, uh, yeah. I still, you know, I still talk to Kevin, still talk to Jesse. Uh, I hear from Matt occasionally through them. Uh, we're just like different worlds, but it was, uh, it was nice. It was a nice thing to do. And I, I'm pretty proud of it. It's, it sounded legit. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, you know, it definitely was, you know, a more, you know, Staves Acres, you know, going a certain way and this is going another, it's another yeah. outlet for you obviously. Um, was, there ever, yeah. was there ever any talks of another record or was it just a one and done?
1: Uh, the guys have tried to do some stuff. I, I'm just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I did that and that was fun, but it was, it's, I just, it's hard to, to, uh, to, to record anything or write anything that you, that you're not really lo- in love with. And I, no, I get kind it. of, I, I, I'm in love with those dudes and I love the songs that we wrote together. I just musically, maybe in where I'm at in my life, it's just not something that feels uh, sincere for me. And I'm not, it's nothing to do with them. And I'm sure they're, it's nothing to do with them it's me and i you can tell you know when you're not really there sure the the vocals aren't going to be there you might be able to have a couple of lines that you've had kind of tossed around in your head but you're not going to deliver any kind of conviction with your tone of voice or your performance so yeah it's just not not something i feel like doing
0: yeah man i get you i get that well let's talk about neon horse um let's kind of yeah tell me how that kind of came together obviously you you mentioned you you've worked with jason over the years and yeah. let's kind of talk about that and, and the two records uh yeah. that came I that.
1: so uh we did when we did the demos for how to live with a curse at that point we had been going out to play cards with Martin for a long time. You know, those guys were all part of like a kind of a group of people that hung out together and played cards. And, um, you know, he was like, he built a studio at his house. He's like, just come over to the house and we'll, we'll demo some stuff. You know, Martin's a, a dad pretty much through and through. Yeah, uh, he is very much, you know, he has no interest in, uh, being on, uh, on camera, <laughs> he noticed a pretty consistent thing he's not trying to do a bunch of interviews and stuff like that yeah um uh, but he does like building things and he likes writing things i think and um and i don't know we he also just likes fellowship we had good fellowship we uh or tracking the those uh the demos for how to live with a curse and you know trying to get ready to go to the studio and uh we did them with him and they sounded they were sounding good and then um we just became friends through all that. And at one point he said, you know, Solomon, uh, can you sing? Like <laughs> can, you can sing, you know? And I said, yeah, dude, I just don't, I don't get a chance. You know, it's not like he's just like everybody else. We don't really listen to each other's records, dude. Like I've never listened to a full starfire 59. Really? It's just, it's not, not my thing. You know, it's weird. It's, it's a weird, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Um, I love Eric Collins. I don't listen to Mr. E&C. It's just not a thing I really do, you know. Wow. I don't know why, it has nothing to do, I, I respect everything. I don't listen to MXPX records, POD, whatever. I respect everything everybody else is doing. It's just hard for me to get into it um, because I know them and I like mystery. I want there to be mystery in the music I'm listening to. That's oh. really what it is. Here's yeah. a great example. I don't know David Bazan. I don't know him. You know, we've met, I guess, a couple times, but I don't think we've ever exchanged more than 10 words. And yeah. uh, I listen to Dave Bazan records because there's mystery there, and I, can, I don't know what any of the songs are about, so they can be about whatever I want them to be about. I get, you know? it. I get And it. I can have a personal connection to them that makes sense. Jason is one of my favorite people. I'm not trying to listen to his records because I totally know, you know, who he is but if he's playing guitar I'm cool with that yeah. <laughs> there's, there's still plenty of mystery there I don't know if that's unhealthy I probably need to go to therapy I don't know but <laughs> <clears throat> so to write songs with him uh, was a natural oh yeah you write songs with your buddies that's what you do you play cards you go bowling You maybe you golf or you write songs with your buddies and we had two of those things so that works and so, you know, uh, now, I mean, Jason and I are still friends. I just saw him when I was in Los Angeles. It was, I try to make time to go see the guy, at least get, you know, a cup of coffee or something. And yeah. uh, we, I don't know, we hit it off. And he's like, man, I want to do this, like, weird kind of punk rock thing. But, like, not... I don't know. I don't want to do just a straight punk thing. I want to do something like like Iggy and the Stooges punk rock, you know yeah. Um, but, but maybe, you know, try something weird. So let's just see what happens. So he sends me these, these stems, and uh, you know, I was living in Long Beach at the time. my wife and I, uh, you know, Stageacre wasn't doing much, so I was still waiting tables and attending bar at nightclubs, and I just had all these things in my head from tending bar at nightclubs and that's just what came out that was my that's life let's sing the about these spoiled brats who come in here and get sh- you know just shithoused every night and give everybody a hard time and that was sort of the impetus for those records but but one conversation that martin and i had was let's make a christian rock record like a, an album that we as little christian kids would have been absolutely blown away that this was a, one of our guys you know yeah so uh one thing that most people don't really know about martin Mm -hmm. is that he is hilarious he is one of the funniest dudes in music and i of all the guys that i know i bet you no one person is ubiquitous enough to cover everybody's mindset is that oh that guy's funny you know what i mean like yeah he's everywhere every weird genre of music everyone who's ever known the guy they know this dude is, such, is has his own thing going on yeah and especially when he gets together with some of his like old school guys like cloud from velvet blue yeah and, oh yeah and uh, uh you know steven dale and jason martin together are a force to be reckoned with because steve's awesome. real straightforward you know anyway uh So a kind of a developed rule when we would track these songs would be, if I can make Martin laugh, I think I might have something, you know? And it was just like, I sent him the thing. I said, this is what I got. And he was cracking up. He's like, dude, come over here. Let's just do this. Let's just forget the stems. Let's just, let's just track some stuff and see what it comes out. And, And it would be dumb and dumber and dumber and dumber. You know, there was one part on the first album where he's like, on this break, you got to say something like the old school punk bands would do. Like, you know, hey, man, you know? (laughs) And that's in there. In the bathroom wall, I think, or maybe nothing nothing nice for you, there's something like that in there. And um, I want to make a, I want to say something. And it's to a guy I don't know, David Bazan, if you ever hear this, I watched the Low Tom live performance of the four songs on the radio station and there's an interview with you where you say oh yeah we just tried to make each other laugh and i want you to know i did not steal this from you this is a thing this was a rule and i know it's documented somewhere but i just saw that i just saw those low Tom videos like you know two weeks ago and i'm like that's my that's my freaking line man Uh, it was literally like dude I, i would track a vocal you know, and I look, uh, I find a focal point on the wall, and that's just what I my default thing. And I'm try to, you know, every once in a while I look down the line, look at down the line, and I I track from a vo- a focal point, and uh, a lot of people do that. And but I would lay down something that I thought was cool, and I would immediately look over and see if Martin was laughing. <laughs> and uh, there's this one bit on um, on uh, I think it was maybe Cuckoo where I was like. Somebody pull the shades. That, <laughs> I would just keep trying to make up voices. And when I did that and I looked over, dude, Martin was shaking violently. And it just, <laughs> it was such a blast. So that's amazing. That's what we did. We kind of created these two little personas that, uh, you know, Norman and Martin, uh, Martin being uh, Martin Gore and Norman being this filthy whiskey drenched sounding guy that was like the bon scott portion of neon horse uh and norman was going to be my middle name when my dad my dad tried to name me mark norman solomon and my mom said no so that was kind (laughs) of like my little yeah
0: that's hilarious what i know when you first went out it was kind of a mystery as to
1: who you guys were was that kind of the the goal we kept it we kept it hidden because we didn't want to we didn't want to we didn't want people to go, oh, this is the new Stage record, or this is the new Starfire 59 record. We just wanted it to be its own thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Looking back on those records, just kind of talk me through, like, what do you, how do you feel about them looking back on them, and, and kind of, um, I guess, you know, looking, yeah, I guess just how your, your viewpoint on them looking back.
1: I will. So, first of all, I want to say, I tried to leave you a little bumper there so that you could do your edit. And so if anybody's watching this and it seems like a weird transition, it is because, <laughs> uh, at, at my age, the coffee and a full thing of water all hit at the same time. Dude, I got you no getting around it, dude. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So looking back on those things, dude, I love, I, I love them, man. I still, I still listen to them. You know, we even did that, uh, Zachu Santa Claus cover. And, uh, every christmas man that gets played to at least one or two of my nephews no no doubt about it man
0: that's awesome man any uh any maybe possible future records at all
1: actually you know martin and i were talking about trying to do you know maybe just like just do a couple songs just for fun yeah do a couple songs you know you can put stuff out so easy now uh and then just you know if we decide to do two more, we'll do two more. We're yeah. not trying to write a record. There's no time to write a record. But um, I have like four or five. There are four or five songs right at this moment that if Jason and I said, hey, let's go in the studio tomorrow, we could track five songs right now.
0: That's amazing.
1: That's you know? cool. And just because we've had them for for ages.
0: You know? but, That's awesome. Where did you yeah. Just out of curiosity, where did the name come from? Neon Horse?
1: Yeah, I don't honestly don't even remember. I mean, uh probably Martin we wanted a, a, okay, at first we were called the Black Hand uh because uh Martin loved this idea of the Black Hand which is like the shadowy side <laughs> of the mafia. Um but then like as we were going he had read up on it. And I guess like the Black Hand were like full-on rapists, like pretty horrific people. So he's like, uh, Solomon. <laughs> Solomon, <laughs> Solomon, man. Okay, I'm gonna do this, and if I get in trouble, it's okay because I'm old, so you have to let me. Okay, ready? Solomon, man. We gotta. We we can't be called the Black Hand, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just it just couldn't it couldn't it happened. It had to had to change because, uh, you know you know i get kind of weird tooth and Elv is gonna put the record out you know want to try to not make life sure. hell for them sure so, sure that's awesome. so yep. neon horse adventure i don't know where it came from but you know it's simple and weird and goofy and uh i think it that fits. was that's yeah. those records are the most true to my personality of every album i've ever done that's i love fact. that that's cool Sweet man. Well, let's talk about White Lighter, um, okay.
0: man. I love this record, by the way. Uh, yeah, uh, how it's this, yeah, how did this? Yeah, tell me how the this kind of came together, and, and maybe your thoughts on it as well.
1: Sure. So, uh, while doing all the Neon Horse records, while doing um, the How to Live with the Curse, uh, Steve album, and really everything after that, uh, with Steve Dale and uh, and. Steve and Randy from Project Eighty Six being involved in it was uh, Randy Torres. Uh, with them being involved in everything, they were just we were just kind of always doing stuff together. And uh, Martin and Steve are pretty good buddies. Um, and and for a while, when we were doing that Neon Horse Records, Steve would come in and he was kind of acting as Martin's engineer. You know, doing a lot of the editing and uh, clip, clipping through. Um, uh, what the hell is it called? Um, Pro Tools, you know, compiling tracks, doing transitions and stuff like that. When you do edits, you know, you don't want to hear. You want to make them nice and smooth, and so it becomes very tedious. And Steve was doing a lot of that, and just, you know. Plus, I think he might have played bass on a couple of those uh, Neon Horse records. And uh, one day he said, you know, he just really wanted to do an album uh, with songs that required the ability to sing. And so we did this album and, you know, I tried to honor that request. Uh, and we wanted to do something that was kind of, that wasn't neon horse, but you know, yeah, there's some elements of the horse in there. Cause Martin ends up playing with us a lot, but uh, it was, it was less, less about the weirdness and more about wanting to do, that old Sabbath-y kind of rock, yeah. you know? And, uh, I loved that album. You know, Northern Records, uh, this guy Anderson, um, uh, everybody just calls him Anderson. I honestly couldn't tell you what his first name is. <laughs> I keep thinking Ken, but that's a producer. Mid- Mister. Hey, uh, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, you know, everybody just calls him Anderson. And I'm sh- I'm sure he's, don't be mad, but, uh, he put together this small label called Northern records and you know, he really wanted to do this white lighter record. It's just something he wanted to do. So he made it possible for us to to record and press the album. Uh, We got uh, Jared McNeely to do some uh, mixing with Martin. He did mixing along with Randy Torres on the first two neon horse records. So uh, it, it just, it's definitely from that, era of my musical life and you know steve kind of gave me carte blanche to do whatever i wanted artistically and that was when uh, you know ryan uh was ryan clark was still with tooth and nail or wasn't with tooth and nail anymore but he was doing his own design stuff i think yeah. so we were like you know hey would you be willing to do it and anderson was willing to pay him so you know uh we got some legit album artwork design yeah it looks and so it was sick. fun oh yeah know? It was fun what uh, i love i mean i love those songs dude.
0: yeah they say yeah. Uh, when well, you're cu- curious like looking back on it, i mean uh, was tooth and l ever and wanting to be involved or was it did uh, you mentioned northern and it, was it just kind
1: of like no i don't think they were really even they i don't know if they were interested or not but it really didn't even come as much of a conversation i think they had already if i remember correctly they had already just sort of Like, how are we going to put this out? Hey, I think Anderson wants to do it. Like, I don't honestly don't remember how the genesis of that happened, um, but yeah, and you know that was kind of at the at the. I think Tooth and Nail might have been in a pretty gnarly transition at that point as well, so it's pretty late, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the Never Was podcast, Um, Mm -hmm. man. I really enjoyed, and I hope you still. And tend to to do more. I really enjoyed it, and you know, having getting to know you over the years, it's just cool. Uh, I don't know, just to kind of hear your perspective on things and and all that. So maybe uh, maybe talk me through what's going on with, with the podcast, and and uh, maybe you know if there's any future plans for it.
1: So the future plan is this. Um, I don't want to do Christian rock nostalgia. <laughs> I have no interest <laughs> in it at all. No, I got uh, you. You know, I love the people and the people that I interviewed on the show are all friends of mine who I was super stoked to talk to. And there's a there's 50 more that I'd love to talk to. But um, what I would rather do is my own artistic show that is my own artistic creations. um, And I'd like to intersperse it with uh, at least one, if not two or three stories, an episode From an anonymous person, I I want the idea is going to be to take somebody's story. I have to preface it this: I really originally, initially with never was. I wanted to interview everybody. You know, if you look on the website, it's still it's still up. It says everyone is interesting, and that's still my belief. Everybody has an interesting story. Here's the thing, man: not everybody is a great interview. It can be, I know you've got to know this by now. Yeah, I'm probably not a great interview at at points, oh, and I'm hush. sure it can be and it can be very challenging when it comes time to 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 edit that stuff, especially if you have a certain way you want things to sound. <clears throat> it is crushing to crawl through an hour of audio, eliminating every time someone like my dumbass says, uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, <clears throat> you know, what I, I mean, the, that I stuff is painful. Um, and you know, there, I just did one when I said, and you know, I bet you there's going to be a hundred times on this podcast where I say, and you know, and it's, you don't you know, realize you're I doing it, it in conversation, but when it comes time to record that stuff, dude, it is painful. So, I just I don't want to do that. What I like to do is kind of compile some thoughts and put them down on tape and intersperse them with whatever's on my mind. And that would bring me joy. And if nobody likes it, it's totally okay. I, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I have a thing that I want to talk about every week. I'm not an expert and don't claim to be. And I don't give a shit if anybody thinks they need to point out that I'm not an expert. Everyone knows I'm not. But I am sitting here living my life, and I'm watching things unfold, and they affect me. And I know there are people who feel the same way. That being said, I want the opportunity to—I want to hear your best story. What's your best story, Jeremy? You and I will talk on camera, not necessary. We will talk. We will record it. And then I am going to take your story, uh, compile the elements of it into a, basically an autobiographical short story. I'm going to, or not, not an autobiographical, but a biographical short story that my interpretation of what you've just told me, let you hear it, say, I, I, I agree. This is, I, I approve. And then I'm going to read it. And the idea is, I will not reveal whose story this is until after I've read it and given you, the listener, a chance to form your own opinions, hear what they had to say. And then I wanna tell you who told me that story and see how I wanna see what happens. Maybe nothing, but I believe that every person, I'm not gonna just interview people who believe the same thing as me. I wanna talk to people who disagree with me. Yeah. I want to take their story and and compile a biographical short story and throw it down. I basically want to work as the voiceover guy for your biographical short story of this story that you have, but the idea is because I can be Luke Wilson in Idiocracy, I can be the most mediocre person that there is, (laughs) okay, generic white guy, and allow you to form your own opinion as to who this person is, you know? And the idea is just to show there are so many similarities between all of us. And I don't know how we're going to fix what we are right now. Yeah. But I do believe that from my own experience, the best way I could find out that I am not better than more understanding uh, scripturally more certain than everyone else. The best way for me to learn that was to meet new people that I had never met before and to have my worldview blown up in my face. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to hear other stories. When you, when you hear stories from people who've lived in Gaza, what's going on there. Yeah. But if you hear it without any of the charge, elements, any of the triggering elements that uh, cause you to put up your little boundaries. I never in a million years would have believed how radicalized my mind has become over the last 22 years. Uh, it's come from, from exposure. I, I, I voted for George Bush, dude. I was happy George Bush was the president, so we have a tough guy in there to deal with this with this thing that has happened in this country. Right. Yeah. 9 11 needed to be dealt with. And I was wrong on Mm. so many levels. And every day that followed after that, it forced me to say like, dude, you don't know shit. Yeah. And you, you are, your belief system is broken, man. You know, we killed all these people in Iraq on a lie and i stood by and said well at least we got a tough guy it's like what yeah you know but that comes from an ignorance it comes from an ignorance and living in a life living a life in which you don't have to see the brown people getting killed uh, in a foreign country and i'm not trying to preach dude i'm really not i'm trying to just state historical fact that is what happened to me i was taught a certain way i lived a certain way i believed a certain way and in the immortal words of brian carlstrom i was loud confident and wrong Mm. i don't know anything dude you know but here i am talking out of my ass like i have some authority so all i want to do is a show that i can feel good about artistically and a show that i feel like gives other people a chance to have their sides set have their story told without people throwing up stop signs until they're done you know does that make sense absolutely and
0: that sounds incredible to be honest with you i i think you're it
1: might suck dude it might suck i don't know
0: you know (laughs) i i think what you're i get what you're saying and and you know you're right it's like sometimes we need the human element of it you know just you know looking at the human element instead of Mm -hmm. you know how i feel or you know, you know, or you know, just stepping back and not making about us at this moment and like thinking these other people affected. I totally get it, hundred percent. I think that sounds incredible and um man, that sounds interesting. I hope I hope you you know, do that soon. That would be really cool to hear.
1: So do I. So does my wife, because I've been paying for my website to stay open <laughs> for a minute, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I got you. I got you. No no worries. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I know you can't uh, predict the future, man, but uh, tell me what the future looks like for you. I know you kind of just described that uh, portion of it, but maybe uh, what does the future look like for you? The future looks
1: like uh, if I can continue in the in the in the uh, program that I'm on right now, I will have an opportunity to present something to people soon um that is that a reflection of that art there's an element to it that i don't want to say out loud because i i want to make it happen before i would like to under promise and over deliver no i got you Um, and at this point it's just a lot of talking everybody's got ideas anyone who says they're an idea man uh welcome you're you're part of the human race uh not everybody has work ethic. You are doing a show, Jeremy. You take the time to talk to a person, record the show, edit the show, put the show into a place where people can listen to it. And it is sincere. And that means something, dude. You know, when Thank you. Uh, my, my buddy Josh uh, Bumpgoletta, he's uh, an artist. Oh, yeah. He's great. Small town illustrator. You know, his style is his style. And he. The only way he has gotten to the point he's at to have a style that is recognizable is by him just continuing to do it. And there are people who, uh, you know, you have to be good, obviously, but there's plenty of talent out there and not a lot of hustle. But there's also people who hustle with no talent, so (laughs) I don't want to be either of those. Uh, I like to be a good balance. I think Josh is a great example of that balance between talent and hustle. Yeah, and you know there are so many other people look at the clock brothers we talked about them earlier yeah i mean who could they're freaking icons man no i know know, i I just had on last week you know there are things that people my buddy wade that i mentioned the drummer from me on horse that guy somehow hustled his way into the authority on vintage pinball machines how is that a thing (laughs) it's amazing so that's it i would like to do that that's the future too really fully invest in something that just is is my own, but it, you have to do it,
0: yeah, absolutely got to take the the leap of faith, so yeah. Mark, dude, this has been so cool man I've really been looking forward to talking to you. It's been a while since we've got to talk and catch up, so
1: yeah, man, yeah,
0: I appreciate you coming on and telling me these cool stories, and uh, I'm glad
1: I could be part of of your journey and uh you know for you and for anyone who's listening, if you haven't seen the cable management at the white house (laughs) video uh that's on reddit right now you can see how jeremy and i met that's that (laughs) world is where we met (laughs) oh my did you watch the video man yes i it's i know my buddy cooper said uh uh, I can't watch it again. I'm afraid I'm gonna break out and <laughs> I
0: know it gives it <laughs> definitely like brings up feelings for sure.
1: <laughs> Mark, right, you
0: man. rule, dude. Awesome. Yeah. It was so good to talk okay. to you, and hopefully we will to hang out soon at some point. And um, you yeah, know, buddy, and uh, we'll go from there, buddy.
1: I'll be in your. I'll be up in Jacksonville this year. I think we come up there. You think? So we'll when? See. Yeah. Well, I then... think so later really? on in the season, I think we're up well, there. Well, shoot yeah. me a text. So to we get together then. Absolutely, man. All right, Mark.
0: I'll All talk right, to bro. you soon. All right. Yes. All right. Bye right, bye. Hey, thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. I could not do it without you, so thank you very much. If you'd like to add me on Instagram and Facebook at the Rumors Are True cast, if you'd like to like and subscribe, you know how to do that. So thank you again for uh, the support and all the nice messages and kind words, it's, it's been really awesome. Thank you to Mark Solomon, busy, busy man. So I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome to reconnect uh, and just hear these cool stories. Um, man, awesome, thank you so much for you done in my life and, and a lot of these people's, these listeners' minds as well. So thank you, Mark. Uh, got some incredible artists on the horizon. I know I say it weekly, but uh, man, I'm really grateful again for this opportunity. So, hey, nostalgia guys, still a hell of a drug.